Welcome to the Rob Burgess Show. I'm, of course, your host, Rob Burgess. On this, our 176th episode, our returning guest is Ash Burgess. You first heard Ash Burgess on episodes 16, 26, 27, 39, 58, 63, 77, 86, 91, 100, 124, 130, 136, 142, 143, 148, 151, 154, 165, and episode 82, which also featured fellow regular guest Jonathan Fowler of the podcast. Ash Burgess has a dusty degree in religious studies and an appetite for both high and low culture. She strives to celebrate the best of every season with her young children. Follow her on Instagram at Ash Burgess, all one word, and subscribe to her YouTube channel. And now on to the show. All right. Well, uh, hello, Ash Burgess. Hello, Rob Burgess. Welcome back to the Rob Burgess Show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. It was, it was a long and arduous journey for me to get back on here, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, I'm excited to talk about what we're talking about. Me too. I'm super excited, actually. <laughs> Talking about a subject that's going to be familiar to a lot of people this year, uh, homeschooling. That's right. We are homeschooling for officially for the first time this year. Now, unlike a lot of people who are homeschooling due to, you know, everyone keeps saying the word unprecedented, but I'm sure there's some precedent for this, you know, way back in history. But unexpected circumstances have led a lot of people to be homeschooling who... This would not have otherwise been their top choice or they hadn't planned to do it before. And so I guess what makes us a little bit different is that we were already wanting to do this, but we are kind of in the same boat as a lot of people at the same time because this is our first year. So just like anyone who's homeschooling for any reason, whether by choice or due to circumstances, we are, you know, embarking, you know, into new territory. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited though. Uh, We're starting on Tuesday. We are starting on Tuesday. Or as our son said on the phone when he was talking to his grandparents the other day, we're starting on Tuesday because even though I already finished my workbook that they said I had to finish and then we could start kindergarten, daddy wants to be here for the first day and he has to go to his office on Monday. So, but um, anyway, we had given him one of those summer bridge from preschool to, even though we didn't really do any official preschool, we've obviously been doing learning at home with him. And But I wanted to give him that workbook just to kind of make sure we were ready for the kindergarten level materials. And he really actually enjoys doing workbooks. So. Yeah, he did a great job. Yeah. Glad right through. Yeah, he read motivated. really fast at the end too. And I think that's why he was like, starting on Tuesday, even though I finished my workbook. I think he was imagining that the day that he finished the workbook, we would just start that day into the kindergarten materials. It matched up pretty well. It was just a couple days. Oh, yeah. No, it matched up totally. I'm just saying that I think to him, it's actually a long time. You know, when when you're six years old, a few days is a long time. I think he really was hoping we would start kindergarten like the moment that, you know, the preschool workbook was over. Yeah, meanwhile, six days sounds like nothing to me. <laughs> exactly, but for him, that's been it's been it's been a long journey. But we're we're very excited to finally be here. And now, here's something that's interesting. Um, you had been telling me for a while to like register him with the state, and I was worried that it was going to take a lot of arduous effort. But it was very simple and. Almost deceptively, so I was like, well, "Wow, it's it." That was that was quick. I, I hope I did it right. That's only for our state. The thing is that the homeschooling laws, and if I sound like I think I know what I'm talking about, I kind of do. 
know a little bit about this because not only have I obviously been researching this in preparation for our own homeschooling, but I myself was homeschooled Mm -hmm. and in the same state that we currently live in. So the thing is, the homeschooling laws vary wildly from state to state. Some states you actually have to be, you know, there's a lot of oversight in some states. Some Mm -hmm. states you have to show what your curriculum is. You may even have to show work samples. Some states you have to take the state testing. There's all kinds of, you know, like I said, it varies so wildly from state to state what the requirements are. Our state has... I don't know if it's the very lowest, but I know we're among the very few lowest as far as oversight and requirements for what you have to do to homeschool. So where we are, basically you just say, we're doing this, and this is the school district we would have been in if we were going to school, but we're not. Mm -hmm. And, And then we're supposed to say that we're going to do a certain number of days. Because there's like the certain number of days that every school child is supposed to go and we're supposed to do that many days. But there's not any requirements as far as what the material is going to be and the oversight or whatever. Mm-hmm. Which I actually think is really exciting for us because that gives us freedom to teach what we want. I also think it's a little bit scary thinking, you know, because obviously we think we have great ideas about what to teach our kids. But we, you know, our great ideas might be very different than someone else's great ideas. And sometimes differences are okay, and other times differences can be frightening. Right. You know? Definitely. But I'm excited because we've done a lot of work preparing our curriculum. Or you, mostly, I mean, you've done most of the like work. And uh, we've gotten a pretty wide variety of subjects, I feel. Um, the really funny thing about preparing the curriculum and me, you know... Since I've been the one that's actually been choosing the materials, although I've run a lot of stuff by you, some of the things I haven't really necessarily run by you, or I may have just talked to you about them verbally and not shown them to you. We can talk more about the curriculum, but I was going to tell a funny story about the Mm -hmm. curriculum choices. So, as you said, I've done most of the um, heavy lifting as far as putting the curriculum together, and I've talked to you a lot about what I was thinking about or what I was doing, but I've kind of made a lot of choices on my own or, you know, with just a little discussion with you. And so one of the books that I chose when you opened up the um, box, you were like, this looks suspiciously familiar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because didn't you say that you think that you may have used this handwriting book when you were when you were a child? It's called Handwriting Without Tears. And you know when you haven't thought about something for years, but you see something like an image or, you know, something and you flash immediately back? It's like you'd had no reason, I'm sure, to like reminisce about your kindergarten handwriting program but then you see it and you're like oh yeah no i had a whole in my elementary school there was a i mean she maybe she wasn't actually this old but to to my young mind she seemed like 90 years old she was a very elderly uh woman and she would taught us handwriting from this same curriculum that you <laughs> you had picked out. Now, I'm, I'm curious, since you described her as a very old woman, was she, like, a regular teacher at your school, or was she, like, a really old person that they specifically brought in just to teach the handwriting? I don't think she even came all day. She just came for the handwriting. I don't class. think she, like, I don't think it was every day either. And see, it's interesting that you mention, like, an old person teaching the handwriting lessons, because... A lot of the reason that I wanted to get a specific handwriting curriculum is that 
I was thinking about how I think my handwriting is perfectly serviceable, but mm-hmm. my grandma, who you know has been long deceased, but when she was alive, she sent me you know cards and letters and things like that. And I was always so impressed by she had just the most beautiful writing. Mm-hmm. And I think that in the past, you know, so, you know, harkening back to the whole thing that your class was being taught by, like, a really old woman, I think in the past, handwriting skills were really drilled, I mean, possibly in, like, a frightening way, but I still think the results are really nice in really putting in the effort to cultivate really beautiful writing. And that's something that I'm interested in doing with our children, and part of the reason I picked the Handwriting Without Tears curriculum, which hopefully we will like, otherwise I guess we'll have to look for something else, but... Is that if you keep going with it, you know, it starts with printing, and then if you keep going, it you can also do cursive and all that with it, which I'm really hoping we can go ahead and do. Yeah, I mean, I learned how to do it. I actually print now, mm-hmm. so I don't actually use, I mean, I sign my name, and there's other, like, if I have something really quick I need to write, sometimes I'll use, like, some script, but for the most part I don't, but I can read it. You know, and I can do it if I have to. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I don't remember if there were tears, if there weren't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm hoping that it actually is an enjoyable program, even though it's a little bit, it's a little bit dry. I mean, you're basically just, it's basically just like forcing them to practice writing the letters. And there's a specific way that you're supposed to do the letter. Like, there's a yes. specific point where you start, mm-hmm. and there are certain groups of letters that you're supposed to form using yes. certain motions. But I think the idea is that if you form the letters correctly, Mm -hmm. you learn how to do it both beautifully and quickly. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's something I want for our kids. But anyway, yes, the curriculum choices have been exciting. I mean, it's there was a point in time where even though I'm very excited about picking out all the curriculum stuff, there was a point in time where I started to feel kind of a little bit overwhelmed just because there's so many possibilities there's so much out there Mm -hmm. it seems like you know it's a lot to be like of all the books which one will you pick and even which subjects will your child study because like Mm -hmm. we said we can kind of do whatever we want yeah and i think that's kind of been a challenge because we want to be upfront about certain things but we want to be careful about how we present it too well it's just that there are a lot of homeschooling materials that are written for people of different perspectives and you so you have to kind of if you're actually buying like a textbook that's been made for homeschoolers mm-hmm. you do have to just just as you would have to look at if you're buying a textbook that was made to be used in a public school you do sort of have to examine who published this and what are their motives and is this telling the story we want to tell especially when it comes to things like history mm-hmm. or even geography or even science mm-hmm. you really have to think is this how is this what we want our child to learn and is it presented in the way that we think will be very access you know very mm-hmm. accessible to them or is this you know going to work for our family mm-hmm. But what subjects are you most excited about teaching? Strangely, and I'm going to say strangely because this is probably, I would consider academically this is my weakest subject, but I've actually gotten really, really excited about teaching math. Hmm. I think because I see it in some ways as an opportunity for myself to, in some ways I feel like I'm going to be, although I do think that 
as we advance into a little bit, you know, upper elementary and later grades, I probably will need to have the teaching be done more by you and more, you know, maybe by the computer or other classes or whatever. But at the same time, I do feel like it's a fresh opportunity for me to really look at the math basics and feel good about them. And I'm also, I guess, excited about it in the sense that I feel like a lot of my struggles with math are that for whatever reason, my foundation of math is not very strong. Like, I feel like, I feel like it's the kind of thing where I didn't have a strong foundation and then I maybe had a math curriculum that wasn't the ideal fit for me for a while when I should have been building on the foundation that I already didn't have. And maybe not having the foundation is why the curriculum I was using wasn't a great fit. I mean, who knows? There's a lot of, you know, unanswered questions as far as, and maybe it's just, you know, my aptitude for math is maybe not my most able subject. But anyway, for whatever reason, I feel like with math, if things aren't going well, I definitely believe it's possible that you could turn things around, but I also feel like my experience was that things kind of got worse and worse. Because, you know, you go, you know, it starts out easier, and as you go to harder and harder subjects, the situation gets worse and worse if you're having struggles, and it gets harder and harder. And for, So for me, it was a real fight to the finish. Like, to me, it was just, how can I fight my way through this? The biggest struggles I remember having were when I was getting ready to take the SATs, just studying really hard to get a good score on the math portion of the SATs. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I had to take like a college math course and just struggling really hard. And for me, that was especially difficult because I tended to excel in most subjects. So to have it be such a challenge for me felt, you know, it felt really personally difficult to be so challenged and also just you know very stressful to feel like this was the one subject that was really at risk of you know kind of bringing my whole GPA down if I didn't really you know really struggle hard really fight through it and so I guess the reason I'm excited now is that I feel like I have the opportunity to hopefully do whatever it takes to build a really strong foundation for our kids so I never want them to be daunted by anything they want to do because of the math involved. Mm. Like for example, I remember in college I really wanted to take an astronomy class because I thought that would be so cool. And I signed up for the class and I went, you know, in the first week you generally sign up for more classes than you're going to need because there's some dropping and adding and stuff like that and shifting of the schedule. And I knew after one class that I was going to have to drop the astronomy class because there was going to be so much math involved mm -hmm. that I knew that I wasn't going to do well. And even though I was interested in it, I couldn't risk my GPA by taking this class that I knew was going to be hard for me because of the math. I never want our kids to have that experience of not doing something because they're daunted by the math involved in it. Mm -hmm. And so even if they're not naturally strong in math, I want them to just have a strong enough foundation that they can be decent at it and not have it feel hard. I also hope that maybe by building a strong foundation, it, it could actually be something that they find enjoyable. Mm -hmm. And, you know, potentially, I mean, maybe some, maybe some of our kids will actually have an aptitude for math. I know that you've said that math is actually a very strong area for you. So if our kids are strong in math, I also want to give them the base that could then, you know, build into them doing 
more and more mathy things, you know, wherever that could take them. Mm-hmm. But I think our son is, I think he's capable, at least. Oh, he definitely is. I don't. Standards of I, there are no, goes. There are no signs that I've pricked up on that he will have a difficult time with it. I'm just excited to hopefully make sure that he really learns all of the key things that he needs to know in the early years of math. So that then as things get harder, he can just be, you know, learning right along. I'm just, I'm excited to lay that good foundation. Because I do think math is all about having a strong foundation and then building on that. Because it's a lot of skills to, you know, acquire. And I'm just, I'm excited for the opportunity to help him with that. And so I put a lot of time into finding a math curriculum that I'm excited about. Mm -hmm. But what about science? I'm also really excited about science because... Um, he's really excited about science. I think I think if I had to, and I, I always hesitate to speculate about what kids will end up doing because, you know, people have interests that come and go and so many things can happen to, you know, take someone in one direction or another. But if I had to guess what's going to be a major interest for him going forward, I would say science. Like, he's always been really drawn to a lot of things that have to do with science or related fields like engineering or, you know, any of those steamy type subjects. Hmm. It's one of those things, is it STEM, is it STEAM, whatever, but (laughs) he he is also a great artist. Yes, he's a very motivated artist. I mean, and he is, for, for someone who's generally very energetic and moving around a lot and he spends... I would say hours a day drawing. Oh, easily, yeah. So he's he's very he's very artistic. He's also very interested in science things. And whenever you ask him like what he's excited about for this year, he talks about the science things we're going to study. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited for science, and science is an area where I'm a little bit more comfortable, even though it you know when you come to later sciences, it involves math. As far as teaching elementary science, I'm very comfortable with the area, and I'm excited to go into some of the topics with him. And it's something where, with the math, I bought a math curriculum because I wanted to just have, with the teacher's manual and everything, because I really wanted to have something that tells me exactly what to do so Mm -hmm. I make sure I get it right. With science, I did buy a few workbooks that are, you know, kindergarten-specific just because I want to make sure we touch on the topics that we're supposed to or that, you know, the general kindergartner would learn this year. But I'm also really building the science program myself with a lot of supplemental and other materials, and we're kind of going off book to explore some things we're interested in. So I'm actually super excited about science. And I'm excited for that too. Yeah, you're right. He's like he's already into it. Like I know he's that is one of the subjects he's looking forward to. Well, he's been really into space for a long time. Mm-hmm. And he's just, I mean, he has a general, you know, interest in animals and plants and robots and Mm -hmm. all those kind of things. Now, you want to take more excursions out out of doors. I do want to do a more nature-based kind of approach for our science. And, I mean, it's a little bit tricky right now with having a small baby and also just with, you know, the way the world is going. It's harder to get out as much as we would like. but But you grew up in a more, you know outdoorsy environment than than, yes. than he is and so I think you feel a little bit of disconnect when he like he calls everything a spider <laughs> every bug is a spider and it's really it I guess okay what I what I was talking to my sister on the phone the other day and I figured out while I was talking to her cuz you know when you talk something out sometimes you suddenly you figure out the root of the issue whereas when you thought about it before you just mm-hmm. didn't quite hit on it I figured out that the issue is that 
There are certain things that I took for granted, as in I presumed that they were common knowledge that our kids would just sort of pick up on organically mm-hmm. just by being alive because those were things that I just sort of picked up on organically from being alive. However, we live in a very different lifestyle than I grew up in. And so I benefited from the lifestyle I grew up in in the sense that I grew up very close to nature. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of things that I don't think my parents had to go out of their way to teach me. They were just parts of our life. Like when you live in the forest, bugs and wild animals and things aren't a moment where your parents necessarily have to intentionally be like, we should learn about foxes or we should learn what all these bugs are. Those things are just a part of your life. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of took that for granted, I guess, in the sense that I assumed that our kids would just sort of know about like basic wild animals and stuff more than they do since we live in a more suburban area. And Mm -hmm. so now I'm wanting to be really intentional about making sure that they're as well acquainted with nature as I would like. Yeah, and but I think that's the advantage to homeschooling in general is that you can focus on that kind of thing more than you might be able to normally because you know you, you're going to a classroom and they might not be sensitive to the fact that you're not kid isn't well acquainted with that kind of thing. It might just mm-hmm. be assumed that they know about things like that because they assume a sort of base of knowledge, I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah, or it might be assumed that they don't know. Because that's the thing is, when I was talking to my sister, she was talking about how um, when she she went to a private school and part of their school thing was that they took like a wilderness trip every year mm-hmm. at the beginning of the year. And she was saying, because I was saying certain things that I've noticed in our kids where I've been surprised because they weren't totally familiar with certain natural things. Or totally comfortable with them. Even if they were familiar, they weren't as comfortable as I would have assumed they would be. And then I realized, oh, yeah, we haven't encountered these things. And she said, yeah, that that was normal for her. And this was even, like, in high school with when they would go on the nature, you know, the wilderness excursion. Mm -hmm. The kids who grew up in town would always be less familiar with certain things that she and the other kids who grew up in the country were just sort of like, this is, like, regular. Whereas other people are like, what is that? Really weird bug. Also, and I need to actually look more into this because I need to look for, I'm I'm really interested in more details about this. She was also telling me that there was this thing apparently that happened when we were kids in Indiana where there was this, there was this huge influx of insects. I don't know like what the name of this, I don't know, phenomenon is the right word, but there was for some reason there was a period of time where there were, where there were, a large, not like an even larger variety of insects were here for some reason that maybe even weren't even supposed to be here. Mm-hmm. And that actually, I don't know what the word is for this or why this happened, so I need to look into this to get details about that situation. But it makes sense to me when she said that because I do remember a lot of really weird bugs when I was a kid. Mm. Bugs that I haven't seen in the last 20 years. Mm. And I had been thinking that a lot of that was just because I haven't, you know, I was living, like, in the forest. And so, of course, we saw more bugs. But also, I think some of them were bugs that were just kind of there during that time and maybe aren't even around here anymore. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of interesting. So, so yeah, like like we were saying, super excited for sciences. Yeah, definitely. But you said you were having trouble thinking of, like, 
an art or curriculum, even well, though he's super interested in art. Well, that's the thing is that I wanted to do some kind of, you know, something to help help his art along because it is something that he's put so much time and his I've been so impressed by how his drawing skills have developed over mm-hmm. the past year. Like he really went from very basic scribbles to really detailed, intricate, beautiful drawings and a lot of them tell like a really detailed story. Mm-hmm. And he does, you know, motion and 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 emotion and all kinds of stuff is going on in his drawings. And so since he's so interested, I do want to help him to develop that skill. I mean, what is homeschooling if not an opportunity both to make sure that your kids learn the things you want them to learn that they might not know, but also to help them to really be able to be schooled in the subjects they're interested in. Mm-hmm. So I want to, you know, do more with him art-wise, but it's difficult in the sense that, I mean, obviously right now we're not going to have him any art classes outside of our house. Mm-hmm. And... As far as books that, you know, books about drawing, our son is really, really into art. Like, even though, you know, he's a very active kind of guy, he's probably draws for a couple hours every day. And his drawing, you know, obviously, since he's been spending that much time drawing, his drawing skills have developed so much this year. I've been really impressed. And my thought is, what is homeschooling if not, in addition to being an opportunity to teach your kids what you want them to know, an opportunity for them to get to really explore what they're interested in. So I definitely want to help him, you know, keep exploring his art and specifically his drawing. And it's hard because it's something where under different circumstances, I would want him to take a class, you know, outside of our home. But given the circumstances, I've been trying to find some sort of a book that would give, you know, good art instruction. And there doesn't seem to exist something for his age. The problem is, I mean, he's six years old. I've seen a lot a lot of the drawing books that look like they teach you how to really draw seem like they will be too difficult for him. Mm-hmm. And they seem like they're made, you know, more for like upper elementary or probably middle school or beyond. The, but then the drawing books that are made for a kid his age seem like they're too simplistic and aren't really teaching anything like Mm -hmm. all the all that they seem to be left with for someone of his age and you know dexterity of you know a six-year-old is those how to draw books where it kind of shows you like you know three steps to draw like Mm -hmm. a cartoon looking cat or something which i think could could be something he would have fun with but it doesn't feel to me like he'd be gaining that much skill wise Mm -hmm. and so i'm still looking as far as that and then also on the other side of art we would be interested, you know, regardless of whether, you know, his are interested in doing art. We obviously want to teach, you know, familiarity with, like, great artists and artworks and, art, you know, art appreciation. Mm-hmm. And I found um, music appreciation. I have some great ideas that I'm really excited about and some stuff we're going to get started with to start learning more about classical music and different composers and instruments and things like that. There's materials that we're going to be using to start out and I also have materials lined up in my mind for what we can do next mm-hmm. that it wasn't that hard to find I've really been struggling to find an art appreciation book or curriculum or program or anything that I can feel as excited about mm-hmm. there are definitely art there are encyclopedias for kids but none of them quite do as much as I would like 
as far as like I want something comparative to, for example, the music program that we have. It's definitely made for little kids, so it's you know doesn't say too much, but it gives them some key things to think about or to listen for, and then it also has you know tracks that you can listen to. So mm-hmm. say you're learning about, you know, say you're learning about Beethoven. Mm-hmm. You're going to listen to certain pieces, and there's things to think about, and there's a little bit of information about you know mm-hmm. what why the music sounds the way it does, and his life, etc. That's I want something equivalent for art appreciation, and I haven't found anything that does that other than I found some things that almost seem like they would do that, but the problem is a lot of them ignore women and people of color, hmm. or they have like a book about 50 people, and like two of them are female artists, and like I promise you that they're are and have been more female artists than that over time. And so mm-hmm. when I find that out about the book, even if I could be like, okay, but I'll bring in supplemental materials to cover these other people, it just makes me suspect everything else that they have to say. Because it's like you obviously didn't think that these other people were important. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, why are you not covering any colored people other than, it's like, we've all heard the great news about Freda Kahlo, but, you know, <laughs> but just including her doesn't exempt you from having anyone else in your, in your book. Right. So I've, I've experienced a little bit of frustration and we're still kind of looking for that. But my thought is, you know, we're, we're kind of focusing on the music. We don't want to overload ourselves with yeah. subjects. Because this is just kindergarten. And even though we do have a lot of big academic aspirations, we also do want to keep it a little bit light. Yeah. Like, it's just kindergarten. He's getting used to doing more work than he's done before academically. And we want it to be fun and interesting and exciting and so my thought is it's okay that we haven't figured out the art yet because we have enough other stuff going on and if we find something that we want to bring into it like you know once we get into a good rhythm if we find that we have space to bring in more art and we find art we want to do we can bring that in now and if not that's something that we'll definitely be able to rotate in next year so I'm not super worried about it, but it is something that has been surprisingly difficult. <clears throat> now, this is a slightly different subject, but one way I learned about at least classical music was um, Looney Tunes. Because they play a lot of classical music that once you're familiar with it, and then you learn later on, oh, that's... Bach, oh, that's Beethoven, oh, that's Flight of the Bumblebee, you know what I mean? Yeah. You have a base for it, and then it triggers something in your memory that Mm -hmm. you were taking in, even if you didn't realize it at the time. I'm not saying we should just sit around and watch Looney Tunes all day, but... Yeah, and see, the the problem is that we're really at a point where we're wanting to, you know, we're not totally against screen time, but we're definitely at a point where we're wanting to limit how much our kids are spending of their day just using the TV for entertainment. Like, we, we we don't really have, we don't actually have TV, but we do have Netflix and, mm-hmm. you know, other streaming services. But we're wanting to really limit how much time the kids are spending actually just watching stuff. Yeah, and I think, like, everyone, we've gotten a little more lax with that kind of thing as the, you know, well, the situation has worn itself out. You know? Between the pandemic and having a new baby, we've definitely let them watch more in the past couple months than we would have normally, but now we're really wanting to kind of pull back the reins. Mm-hmm. 
And we've never been a huge um, tablet family as far as mm -hmm. we have one of those kids fire tablets, but we've only used that basically when we were on vacation. Yeah. And it's just, it's not something that we let our kids use at our house at all. We don't, we don't let our kids have iPads. We don't let them have phones. I know that sounds weird to say because he's little, but some little kids do have phones and ours does not. And I mean, I'm not trying to like be judgmental of other people's choices. It's just not something that we want to do with our kids. And there will come a time where we don't want him to be a social pariah, but we want him to experience that, but that's a long ways off, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, when, when our kids are older, there will be probably a need for them to have phones. When they're going places without us, where they might need to like, call us. Mm -hmm. That's when I think phones really become a thing. But yeah, It's like on the Babysitter's Club TV show where the dad goes to the phone that has like four buttons on it that like, calls right? like, home and like 911. And <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, as, as our kids grow, we're obviously going to be continually, you know, reevaluating and figuring out what's working for us at the time that we're in. I'm just saying, we're currently in a time where we don't think our kids have any business having a phone, and we've also decided not to let them use like a tablet either, really, as a normal thing. Yeah. Which I think that's one of the reasons that, for some people, that is one of the reasons that some people are homeschooling, you know, this year, is that people who originally planned on doing either public school or you know, doing, you know, distance school don't want their kids to have that much screen time. Because if you're doing just the distance school, like through your public school or whatever, that's all, you know, you're just, you're on Pretty the Chromebook. Yeah. And I, think, and I think some schools have, you know, standards like, you know, five hours a day or something. And there's no way that I want my kids on any sort of device for five hours a day. Yeah, but I feel like they've just thrown all these curriculums together at the last minute. I'm not, I'm, yeah, and I'm not casting blame on anyone. I think people are trying to do the best they can in the situation that they've been presented with. I'm just saying that for us and for some other people, that's not an option that we are excited about for, yeah. for what we think would be working best for our kids. I'm sure that for some kids that will work great and, you know, it's just not what we want. Now, one subject that we kind of had some difficulty with is the social studies aspect, and I think for a couple of reasons. Um, like you, like you mentioned, a lot of people who do homeschooling have a certain people perceive them a certain way because there is a, a large group of people that that kind of fit the bill. But of, even of homeschooling families, we're we're kind of an outlier too. I feel like. I think we are in that we obviously, I mean, anyone who's familiar with your podcast knows that you have strong opinions about government and society and, yeah. and so obviously that comes into play in what, what materials we choose. Although I have to say that it also comes into play as far as not the only, but one of the reasons why we've chosen homeschooling Absolutely. is because there are things that our children would be taught in a public school that we do not agree with. Mm -hmm. And I know for some people it's okay to say, you know, maybe you don't agree with something, but your kids are going to be taught this and we can work around that. And that's fine if that works for you. But for us, that's a non-starter. Like there are some things that 
we do not agree with and we don't want our children indoctrinated in certain you know schools of thought and we don't want to have to unschool them in the things that they've been taught at school that we don't agree with we want to teach them what we think is right mm-hmm. and it's interesting because i feel like i've come to a pretty i guess radical place but i went through the indoctrination of the mainstream view of, of these things and I almost feel like that fueled my feeling so once I found out like oh they're only telling me like half the story and what about Africa <laughs> you know at all <laughs> you know or anything like that you know it's like once you realize the wool's been pulled, pulled over your eyes like I loved history it was a, a plus subject every year for me in school growing up and that was a sanitized view of history but I was just as invested once I found the alternative view of history that I wasn't <laughs> that wasn't shared with me and I think it was more of a shock because that wasn't presented to me first. But I don't know if that's just I'm weird and I like history no matter what. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if I would have, like, it, it doesn't really matter what you presented to me first. I would have gotten to what I think anyway. I think that's a thing, though, when you are interested in something and then suddenly you discover all this new information that mm-hmm. sheds new light on it. I think it's natural that that would be a big deal for you and make you more interested. Yeah, but I was I was like already interested, and then mm-hmm. I'm like, now I'm like super interested because I'm like, oh, yeah. there's another even more to it than I thought, you know. So, but that's the thing. I mean, whatever we teach our kids, they're eventually going to be who they're going to be. Yeah, we, we can try to te- we can try to teach them the things that we hope will guide them onto a good pathway to be, you know, kind and thinking human beings. But whoever they end up, I I want them to be people who, I want us to give them the tools to think for themselves and to come to their own conclusions when the time comes as they're getting older and older. They're going to have to come to their own conclusions or hopefully not conclusions because I think it's a dangerous mistake to come to a conclusion on almost anything. Mm -hmm. I think you always need to be open to having new information. And I hope, so I guess what I'm saying is I hope that we will give our kids the tools to be people who have the ability and the motivation to accept and even seek out new information as they go to be able to figure out what's going on in the world and how that relates to them and how they want to be in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. But I, I do like the approach we're taking with the geography, though. Well, we decided, ultimately, with... Are kind of not not being sure at first, you know, really being like, what should we do as far as an entryway into, you know, this this kind of subject? We decided that we're going to do kind of a blend geography and social studies this year. Mm-hmm. And I, I that is another subject I'm super excited about. I mean, honestly, I'm excited about every subject we're doing, but so mm-hmm. I should probably stop saying I'm super excited about this. But I am excited because what we're doing is we're blending geography and social studies in a way where hopefully will help both to develop an understanding of geography and an understanding of social studies as we learn about the fact that there are different people and we're kind of taking the window of children around the world, how they're living, how it's the same as us, how it's different as us, so we can develop that sort of global perspective and to relate that to learning about, you know, just how big our world is, how many different people are here, Mm -hmm. and what geographically the places that they're living in are like and also animals we'll tie into that as well you know Mm -hmm. because we're going to be studying animals in our science but we're also going to be studying them a little bit geographically too so my hope or i guess i would say my goal for this year is just develop a 
just, you know, a kindergarten level understanding of the world map, you know, some idea of, you know, what the different continents are, kind of how it's laid out, and some thought about, you know, who and what is living there, what kind of landforms, and just generally the idea that there's a lot of diversity and some some thought about where that is. So that gives us a good, you know, standpoint mm-hmm. to kind of move forward into other subjects. But I feel like that's good because I feel that even if people don't realize it, geography is makes a statement on that larger social thing too because if you look at like maps i forget what the different projections are but like the one that makes greenland look like it's as big as africa you know what i mean mm-hmm. like and and when when you see like the middle of the map it's like north america in the middle and like you, you see asia half cut off and like africa's over here and you know what i mean like uh, it's just it even the way you present the world is that there's a meaning behind it, you know? And, and I think if we can present that in a way where it's like, yes, it's great where you live. Other people think it's great where they live. And you know, everyone has their challenges and their triumphs yeah. and things to be celebrated and things that could be improved upon. And I think that's the thing too, is that the reason we decided to do geography specifically world geography mm-hmm. and also a blend of you know world cultures and social studies is that we really wanted to try to develop a little bit of a global perspective before because i know that some kindergarten programs start in on more of a u.s history yeah they start on that pretty quickly yeah it's u.s history and also learning about the state that you live in and the 50 states and we're definitely going to be learning about that and i think there's a lot of value in learning that but we thought it would be best for our purposes to start with getting more of an idea of the world and get kind of a global perspective. And then probably next year we'll start doing more learning about, you know, our specific country and state. Whereas we're kind of putting the pause button on that for now so we can develop more of a general understanding of the world before we kind of zero in. I guess what it is is that we want to avoid an America first, America best perspective. Well, it's an it's an easier perspective to, to present to a younger child because it it presents a more innocent view of America's role in the world than I really think that, you know, reality reflects. And I think that if you're gonna tell kids the truth about what's happened in the history of this country I don't think a kindergartner is ready to hear all that, honestly. Like, or, or like, I, I don't know how you even speak about genocide to a six-year-old. You know what I mean? It's like, difficult, and that that is one challenge we're going to face going forward. There are some topics that we need to start exploring pretty soon, if not this yeah, year, in the next few it. years. I, there you, are as things, much as I want to avoid it, I, like I want know, to shelter him from this, these realities. You know, but we can't. We, we can't. can't shelter. We have to find inappropriate but also factual way to help our kids learn about hard things like slavery, the Holocaust, genocide of, you know, I mean, the Holocaust obviously is a genocide, but genocides, you know, native. yeah, so I'm saying like, there's, there's been many genocides that we're going to have to talk about. Yeah, you need to be a little more specific there. There's, there's some ugly parts of history that we need to start talking about sooner rather than later. Yes. But I do think that history builds upon itself. Like, we're not going to teach about the Holocaust one time. And then that's, we. It's all, you know what I mean? We need to introduce the idea in an age-appropriate way very soon. And then 
over the years, we're going to build upon that. But the the challenge is to introduce it in a way where it's appropriate and not too much for a young child to handle, but also that leaves them open to really learning more and more, unfortunately, upsetting things, but not feeling like they were lied to originally or, you know what I mean? We don't want to sugarcoat things too much and we don't want to give infactual information, but we also don't want to lay out all the darkest, most horrifying truths all at once on a very small child. So it's finding the way to do that is a challenge that we will face. It is a challenge. But I think doing it in a way where it's like, there were people just like you all throughout history who did important things that we might not necessarily remember. That's one thing that I was not taught as a kid. Like that, that's one thing I had to, had to come to later in life. Like, because I was fed the great man version of history where it's like, we talk about these great leaders and, you know, we don't really know the names of the, you know, smaller, uh, not smaller, but more common people that, that did things in their own life. Uh, you know what I mean? Like it was just, it was just like these are the generals and the presidents and the governors. And of course, we're going to learn about that's those important, people, but but like those aren't those people only existed due to all the other people that were in society with them at the time. And I think, in certain ways, it's it's easier to present that kind of history earlier because you can focus on the people, not the messy details of what was happening in the streets. You know what I mean? <laughs> but one thing I wanted to talk about was. We have our daughter Emerald, who I think is feeling a little left out, but I think it's natural. Well, it's hard because she's three, mm-hmm. and we've never really gone in for the idea of doing a lot of preschool work. Like, I feel like it's kind of, if the child's not interested, I'm saying that if, and then we'll come back to that later, but... If the child's not interested, I feel like preschool work is kind of a waste of time slash pointless. Most of what they're supposed to learn in preschool, and this is just my opinion, and I I don't want anyone to take this the wrong way because I do think that preschool can be really valuable to kids in a lot of different ways, but just my reasoning behind not really pushing it has been that my feeling is that a lot of what they're supposed to learn in preschool, they learn just by living normal life with us. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is how it works how it should be for our family and I also feel like there's things that a preschooler you might have to like push and push and drill and drill whereas when they're ready to learn it they just learn it really fast like you can quiz a preschooler for like a year on different shapes and maybe they're not interested and maybe they're not getting it when a kid's ready to like recognize what a square is it's not going to take much work mm-hmm. you know what I mean so I've never really thought that we should drill kids on facts and figures and things like that when they're really little. I just want them to play and learn from playing and from reading with us and, you know, those kind of things. But I feel like our son, when we naturally taught him to count, mm-hmm. just in the normal course of things, yeah. like we had a workbook, he, once he got, once he understood counting to five, he understood five take away one is four. You know, like, it wasn't yeah. like I sat down and that was wasn't like, something we today had to we will learn subtraction. <laughs> like, but if we had like... tried to push that on him when he was, like, two and a half or three, 
he it might have taken a lot of work for him to learn that. And then when he finally learned it naturally, we might have thought that it was because we worked with him so hard. Yeah. And in fact, he just kind of picked it up. But coming back to our daughter, she's three and she's feeling left out because, you know, we've made a big deal about Cap is starting kindergarten and we've... She knows that when packages come to the house, they're often something for someone at our, in our home. And a lot of packages have come to the house recently that have been books and things, you know, for kindergarten. Mm-hmm. And to a certain extent, I feel like I'm planning to teach a lot of the stuff sort of family style. Because I think she'll be interested in some things, and I want to teach it so that she's open to join in. And a lot of homeschooling families do this, kind of some family-style learning, where it's like, you know what I mean? Like, I think she'll be very interested, for example, in the science. She might not retain all of it. We'll probably have to teach a lot of these things again when she is kindergarten age or whatever, you know, depending on what's happening then. But... But I think that she'll want to participate, you know, as we're learning, like, about plants and animals and things like that. I think she'll be right there. So I'm planning to teach that, really, just family style to both of them. Mm-hmm. However, there are certain things that are going to be more personal to him. Like, I could teach the math family style, but there is a math workbook that's specifically for him to work in that I think would be... A little too challenging to expect her to also do and, and I also don't want to pay for the program right now because we have to cross that road when kindergarten comes you know mm-hmm. so there's things like that like that math workbook the handwriting workbook that are specific to him and she's definitely gonna see that he's having certain workbooks that are that she's not having and she even said to me like when I was like trying to organize some of the school supplies earlier tonight mm-hmm. she said like where are all my workbooks Mm-hmm. So I think she really is feeling it. Like, she really wants... I mean, that's that's the thing that... I think you hear rumors of this before you have more than one child, but it doesn't really hit home how intense it is until you have multiple children. Just how much they want to make sure that they absolutely have whatever the other one has and that everything is totally equal. And it can be it can be kind of stressful and fatiguing, the, the, the squabbles and the fighting and the jealousies that can arise over anyone who feels like... Someone got something they like didn't. Daphne and Velma and the Scooby Doo set. Yeah, like they just everyone. Yeah, just just the fighting and the just general unrest can can be a lot. And yet, it's understandable, of course, that you know, of course, we want to. If she wants workbooks, we want to get them for her. But at the same time, it feels like, do I really want to get books that she's probably just going to scribble in? You know what I mean? Like, this is not how I really want to spend our money. So I want to find ways to include her as much as possible. But I also want to find some separate things so she, that she can do so that she feels that there are some things that are for her personally. Because, like, if we're doing family-style stuff and then our son has things that are for him specifically, I think what we need are so, some things that are more for her specifically. Of course, I know whatever I get for her, he's going to want to do. Because I've looked at a lot of, like, fine motor type of things that maybe we could work with her on. But I know that even though he is beyond them ability-wise, I know that he'll be like, you know, if I try to give her, like, a fine motor skills game while he's supposed to be practicing his handwriting, he's going to be like, but I want to play this one game. You know what I mean? So it's a little it's a little tricky. Well, I'm interested in this also because you are the 
you're kind of in the emerald spot of your family. Yeah, I'm the middle child. So, you, but but I'm saying you had an older brother also. Yes, yes, and he was exactly in the same space too. Well, that's what I was going to say guys. is that not only were you motivated by seeing, I'm sure, your brother learning certain things in his homeschooling, he was probably also motivated not to fall behind because who wants to fall behind their oh, that's, sister? That's definitely true. Like, I think, like, like, I think it benefits both ways to have that. Not, it's not competition. I don't, I don't mean to say it that way. But I, like, I don't, I don't, I don't feel like my attention. brother. Uh, yeah. Okay. Here's the thing. I don't know for, for whatever reason or whatever my parents did right. I feel like somehow they did manage to build a great relationship between my brother and I where I don't feel like we were overly competitive with each other. Mm-hmm. Now, that is not to say we didn't have certain competitions going. We <laughs> argued a lot for fun, uh-huh. but that was more like we were just sharpening our, like, argument skills and trying to prove the other one was wrong, but, like, mostly good nature. And we did spend hours talking about how we had elaborate plans to each develop our own style of martial arts, and then after <laughs> we had done this... We were going to, like, meet finally for, like, a physical fight so that one of us could, like, ultimately take the other one down. But we spent hours companionately discussing how we were going to do this, and the fight never actually occurred. Like, my brother and I actually didn't, like, really fight with each other. Mm -hmm. So, for whatever reason, we had a great, great working relationship growing up. And in our roles as, you know, siblings in the family, I think we really did really, really well. But I do think we motivated each other learning-wise. Like, I think my brother didn't definitely didn't want me, the younger sibling, to outpace him. Mm-hmm. So I think that motivated him to do certain things that he might have otherwise not been interested in, like, spending his time doing. Because he definitely didn't want me to, like, overtake him. And, like, like, for example, we had, like, a set of readers. It was one of those things where we had every set and the readers going from, like, you're just learning to read all the way through, like, sixth grade or something. And I definitely think he was motivated to read faster when he sensed that I was gaining on him in the cycle of readers. You know, because we started out, you know, when he was in one book, I was in a different book, and then there was a time when the gap between us was closing faster than I think he was comfortable with because I was... I had hit my stride with reading, and that's always been a real strength for me. Mm-hmm. So I was going fast, and it was something that he just wasn't, hadn't been interested in, like, pursuing very hard. And I think that his, his fire was definitely lit by that. At the same time, I think having an older sibling was a huge advantage for me because, I mean, just like I'm saying that we're planning to teach a lot of subjects family style, I definitely think in a homeschool environment... <coughs> the younger siblings are going to be exposed to, even if no one is, like, formally trying to instruct them or test them or, you know, drill them on anything, they're going to be exposed to the concepts. And some of those concepts are going to stick. And that's definitely giving you an advantage from an earlier age. Well, just the songs that you sing with them and, like, the counting, all this kind of stuff, it it resonates whether or not you sit down and formalize the lesson plan or whatever, you know what I mean? Like Exactly. Emerald knows how to count to ten. Not because I don't think I've ever sat down with her and be like, we're counting to ten now. Like it was just always like counting to ten with Cap, she's there anyway. Well it's... she's just kinda gonna be along for the ride. But I feel like that was just as effective as if I had sat down and was like, We will do this now. Exactly. Like there's a lot of times where we've counted things with them. Yeah. So then, you know, they can count. 
also Emerald loves like she loves she really loves songs where there's numbers. Like she yes. loves she's obsessed with that song about the ducks oh, that know. go out and then one last duck comes back. So I mean I guess they're also learning subtraction. Mm-hmm. And then they go out again, one last one. It's actually kind of a really I was thinking about that today. It's not sad because in the end, the mother duck finds all the ducks, but there's a point in the song where it's like, oh my gosh, like, this is a real tragic song about it, like a mother losing all her children. But I mean, fortunately, at the end, we kind of reverse that around, but you know. (laughs) But yeah, like, she loves things like that. And so, from things, doing things like that, she already knows how to count to 10. And I would not be surprised if she's Mm -hmm. counting to 100 by the end of the year, since that's something that I know. I know with the kindergarten math, they're counting to 100, mm-hmm. and even if she doesn't pick up on some of the things that we're going to be doing, like, we're going to be working with time and money, and I don't know how much of that she'll want to do, and adding and subtracting, she might not want to do beyond, like, the most basic ones, but I definitely think she'll be counting to 100 with us. Mm-hmm. Well, there are certain things that are natural motivators, too, that have worked with Cap, for example, like... I know we're trying to cut down on screen time and watching stuff, but, like, back in this last couple of weeks when we were like, okay, we're going to start watching stuff at 4 p.m., like, he has learned, I think, almost to tell time. Yes, he did, he did suddenly decide that he was going to learn how to tell time because we told him that he could watch a movie at 4 o'clock and he was, like, counting okay. down the hours. It's 3.23. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> You know, but, like, that was totally based on the fact that he wanted to know exactly when it was 4 o'clock and how long it was going to be till it was 4 o'clock. And so he had to learn about 60 minutes and an hour and, you know what I mean, the, the hours on this side of the colon and, but, you know, a you know, digital clock and, you know what I mean? It was a natural motivator for him. <laughs> but in a lot of ways, I, pre- I prefer that kind of learning. Like, I think the best learning happens when somebody wants to learn something, not when it's just, like, it is time for you to learn this. Okay, but like this leads into something else I wanted to discuss in that you seemed kind of cool to the idea that I was expressing the other day of you kind of learn where you find it and you're like, yeah, that's okay to a degree, and but you think it should be more like formalized than that. Like I was just using an example of like, you know, you, you finding, you know, teachable moments where they happen as opposed to as much structured, you know, you can structure it, but be like, this doesn't have to be one thing. And, and I, and I think that if I had any, crit- and I, I'm a trained teacher. So yeah. I that's just, something we should mention is that you actually have a degree in elementary education. And I, and I have worked as a teacher before, but like the, one of the biggest criticisms I have for our style of educational system in this country is that it's so segmented as far as subject matter. Mm-hmm. And we pretend like, science has nothing to do with history and history has nothing to do with math and math has nothing to do with social studies. No, no, it's all related and I I celebrate the relationship, but... It's all related, it's all messy, it's all, you know, it's it's all multifaceted. It's not this, like, black and white thing. And I think the value to me in being a homeschooling parent is that we're going to go out to this thing and it's not going to be like, we will go on a social studies field trip today. It's like, we're going to go to this location and it's going to bring about whatever we find and we're going to expand on what, what stimuli we, we encounter in the moment and that's going to lead to other discussions that we couldn't have planned for, but it's going to be more organic and therefore more impactful in the moment than if we like structured, regimented 
we are only here for this purpose. Pay attention to nothing else. Don't look at the, you know, whatever. And see, I think there has to be a happy medium. Because on the one hand, and I think there's two reasons for my viewpoint on this. Reason number one is that I think I'm naturally suited to academia. Like, like when I went to college. Mm-hmm. I love that. I got great grades. I mean, like I said, I did struggle, you know, to maintain, you know, my math, but I really excelled in a lot of areas. I ended up getting an honors degree in what was considered to be, you know, a really high-ranking department in a really, you know, difficult subject. And to me, like, some of my best times at college were when I was being, like, the most studious and bookish. Like, just thinking about like the time that I spent writing my honors thesis and I had my own little study carol in the library and I was like working so hard and like the smell of like the books and everything like those are some of my best college memories and, like I'm naturally suited to that mm-hmm. and so I think from that perspective I think there are certain things about a more rigorous academic forward kind of approach that I really enjoy, and if our children enjoy that, I really want to provide that to them. Also, I think that when I was homeschooled as a young child, the approach that my parents took, not entirely, but a lot of it was much like what you're describing. And there were certain benefits to that. Like, I think I benefited from that in a lot of ways. I also think that there were certain... You were able to go on and do the things you're talking about later because you had the base that yes. they gave you, right? Yes, and so that so I'm, so I'm not at all saying that that was like a huge mistake or anything, but I do think that there were some shortfalls in my education that maybe wouldn't have been there if certain subjects were taught with a more intentional approach. So I guess what I'm saying when I say a happy medium is... Yes, I think we go somewhere, we're just living our family life, we go somewhere, we encounter things, and those can be learning. I think that if there are subjects that you want your kids to know about, though, the learning does need to be reinforced in a more academic way. I think it's important, like, because there are some things that I had to learn really late in the game. Like, how to study for a test. And I'm not interested in testing our young children. But as they get older, I want them to develop the kind of study skills that you need to do really well on a test. I want, and even, you know, let's, let's put testing aside because that's not really what this is about for me. More what I'm saying, I guess, is that I do want to make sure that our kids really learn certain things more than just by encountering them. I do think to learn something really well, you do need to reinforce the encounter. But already, I will say that me and Cap have had some fascinating discussions based on a random question that he'll have, and then that leads us down a whole rabbit hole. Oh, for sure. I mean, he asks the best questions lately. Like, well, he like thinks we, about we, the most. We did like things. a half an hour out of the blue. I didn't plan this at all about animals that use tools. Like right. we went on a journey. Yeah. Of finding out every animal that uses a different tool. And we were looking at, uh, you know, orangutans that fish with sticks and termite Mm -hmm. pits. And we were, like, looking at otters that crack, 
you know, like, like clamshells with rocks, yeah. you know, like, and they have their favorite rocks and they keep it hidden under their, like, you know, arms and they, they go around with it. You know, like, we, we learned all that and it was all because of an inquiry that he had that I couldn't fill in the blanks on off the top of my head. I was like, well, let's, let's explore this. Let's learn about this because I don't know. Like, like, I'm not afraid to tell him I don't know something. No, that's the thing is that I'm excited to homeschool part, partially for selfish reasons because it's an opportunity for me to do a lot of learning. Both about things that I already know but haven't thought about in a long time mm -hmm. and about new things. So I'm excited because I guess I, I heard someone say this and I can't remember exactly who it was so I can't quote them exactly but recently because I've been watching a lot of videos made by like homeschool parents and stuff mm -hmm. about you know their you know how they teach and different things just to gather ideas and something that really resonated me with that somebody said recently was that she doesn't think of herself as a teacher mm -hmm. like she doesn't think of herself as her kid's teacher she thinks of herself as a guide who is going along with them and helping them to learn the things that they need to know mm -hmm. and i think that resonated with me a lot because in a sense, you know, we, we're the teacher in the sense that we are stepping into that teaching role to impart certain things to our kids. But at the same time, we are studying, we're, we're studying these things along with them. Mm -hmm. And it's different than if you were in a situation where you teach a certain grade or a certain class and you teach it over and over again, you probably get to know the material really well and you're just trying to teach it to other people. But for us, it's like we're teaching kindergarten this year. And we'll probably be teaching it again in like three years. And it may be similar to what we do this year or it may be different. Mm. You know, because, we, you know, different child, different circumstances. They've already been through this kindergarten with us once. You know what I mean? So and then three, three years after that. Exactly. <laughs> and then three years after that, you know, it's going to be doing it again. But it's not going to be the same. But I, my point is that it's still, it's a fairly novel thing for us. Mm. Each grade and each phase we're with. And because we're doing this with just all our children or the individual child that's different than having to try to teach a subject to a big room full of people with all different needs going on we're really able to focus on the needs of the specific child or children that we're working with at that time mm -hmm. and so it is more we're learning along with them and we're helping them figure out how to learn the neat things they need to know. Not so much we're just the teacher, we already know all of this and we're trying to impart the information on them. Or we're trying to like rigidly teach to the test that is gonna determine my salary. So it's like, exactly. better, like learn that. Exactly, because I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm, like when I say that I'm not being, I'm not being critical of teachers and what they need to do in the environment that they're in. Because I think it's not I their think, fault they find themselves in that system. No, and it's and it's and I think it is good if you are a teacher that has a large classroom of people. It's good if you know the information that you need them to learn and you're presenting it to them. I'm just saying that we are putting ourselves in a different situation where we are doing something a little d differently, where we're flexible as far as what we're even going to be learning mm -hmm. and how and when and you know we get to kind of adapt as we go for the specific child which obviously you can't do if you have a large group that you're trying to help right like if you have a large group you just need to make sure that they know the things that they need to know mm -hmm. whereas we can really tailor everything to our individual kids mm -hmm. and as part of that, you know, we can learn along with them instead of we have to just know the knowledge that we then have to teach. 
Because we don't even, I don't even know everything that we're going to study this year. Mm -hmm. I have a really good idea about some things. And like I said, you know, we bought a math curriculum because I want to make sure we really get all that. But some things like science, I have kind of that backbone of what we probably are going to study. And I have the first couple units planned out. But we're going to kind of go where the wind takes us. Mm -hmm. You know, if we find that we want to spend longer learning more about something, we're going to do that. If we find that there's something that we hadn't planned on studying at all that we get interested in, we can do that. Mm -hmm. And that's something where if I haven't planned it, obviously I don't know everything about it. I'm learning along with them. Mm -hmm. And I'm excited for that because it's, it's an opportunity. I don't get to, I don't get to spend as much time learning now as an adult since I'm no longer in school that I did and that I really enjoyed when I was younger and so I'm excited to really get back into that mm -hmm. is I guess what I'm saying I don't know if I I feel like that was a really long-winded of saying like yes I'm excited to also be learning things <laughs> with our kids but but I love buying school supplies mm. how how has it been out there because you're you've been the one like You've been the one who's actually gone out to the store to look for the supplies. How how is it out there? I mean, at this point, we're getting a little late in the season, so it's getting a little picked over. Um, I was able to find most everything we needed still, but yeah, I feel like, especially this year, I feel like people got their lists out kind of early, and you know, I think people started preparing for the new school year, and I think people are buying more supplies now because they know they're going to have to buy their own supplies as opposed to just relying on the classroom supplies as much. So. Well, I think if you're in a if you're in an in-person classroom, my understanding is that most of the in-person classrooms now, where they would have had communal supplies, yeah, it's all it's all personal, personal. So you have to have like kind of a full kit mm -hmm. with like the scissors and the tape and the crayons and whatever other equipment you need for whatever classes your kids are in mm -hmm. that's like personal to them instead of just it's all kind of going into the common pile mm -hmm. and i mean there's more people homeschooling that are i think scooping up different supplies and figuring out what to do and also we're starting our year a little bit i mean we're almost at the same time as a lot of schools but we were actually planning on starting a little later mm -hmm. but then like i think we talked about before our son kind of raced through this workbook that we'd given him because we told him kindergarten was starting when it was over and he really I guess as we figured out had the expectation that it would start immediately when the workbook was over so we decided to just kind of roll with that and you know he's really excited right now so we didn't want to make him wait another week just because we had this start date in our minds mm -hmm. so we're actually starting earlier than we meant to but still slightly on you the late to side be the beginning of September. yeah I was kind of shooting for like Labor Day mm -hmm. just because that's sort of harkening back to like the times of yore or whatever I think that was the official starting time of schools mm -hmm. but I'm actually starting to get happy that we're doing it sooner because that gives us more flexibility as far as later in the year I mean the sooner we get started the late later in the year we can decide to take more or less time off at different times if we want to and the more day the more school days we kind of already have in the can the more flexibility we have to feel like we've kind of met that requirement or we're we're on track to meet that requirement so we can do what we want like i know a lot of homeschooling families will for example take off like the entire month of december mm -hmm. and that's the kind of thing that we could if we wanted to consider doing if we feel like we're on track as far as getting enough days that we're not worried we won't be able to finish our year out or whatever 
you know. <coughs> so I think it's all working out, but it did, shopping for school supplies a little on the late end did make it harder, and that's why we did kind of surge out also, is that we sort of realized that all the things are on sale, mm. not so much online as they are if you buy them in person at the store. And so we kind of wanted to take advantage of those sales right now to get some of the things, you know, like markers and scissors and tape and all those, mm -hmm. you know, all those little odds and ends that we didn't already have or needed to replenish. Mm -hmm. Replenish. However you want to pronounce that. Second. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm excited. This is going to be fun. I've been looking forward to this. Me too. And it's also, it feels really good right now because we're in this point in time where our world has felt like it has shrunk so much. Mm -hmm. Like, just, you know, with quarantine and everything, it kind of feels like the walls are closing in a little bit. And so now to be starting this thing that not only is it great to be starting something that we've looked forward to for so long and it's happening, so that mm -hmm. feels good, it also feels like our world is getting bigger in a way because we're going to be talking about and learning about so many things now mm -hmm. like with like the science and the math and the social studies like that's that's going to make our world even if it's just from inside our home it's going to make our world feel so much bigger at a time where i think we really need that feeling yeah and he's excited too so that helps he's so excited yeah like his enthusiasm definitely like makes me more excited to like you know what I mean? It's not like I'm like, I can tell he's excited to learn. You know? He is. So well, like, he's a very he's a very naturally inquisitive person, and he does enjoy like he enjoys workbooks, mm. which is which is actually sort of interesting and an interesting contrast to him because I generally think of him as kind of a high energy individual, and I know sometimes it's a challenge for people who are very of high energy kind of temperaments to do a lot of like sit down work. But that is one area where, even though he will often be very energetic in other ways, he actually really enjoys like working in workbooks, and he loves he loves to be read to. And mm -hmm. that's that's something where there are some things which I don't really believe we need to push. But I wouldn't be surprised if we ended up doing like I see no reason to really push hard for him to learn how to read because it's something that he's very interested in doing. Like, he's, he's interested in, like, he sight reads words when he can. And he always is asking me what things say, or he'll say, does this say this? And he's really angry because we have these letters on our fridge, but since it's just an alphabet set and there's not any doubles of anything, he desperately wants to write things, and he can't spell out as many things as he wants to because we obviously don't have enough letters to spell a lot of words and he's frustrated by that so he really wants to do that and so we have a phonics program that we're going to do and then i and the, the the beginning phonics program though it's just you know we're learning all the letter sounds and the blends and all that and if he flies through that then we go to the part of the program where we're really reading but i would not be at all surprised if we get into the part of the program where we're really reading because it's something that he really wants to do and he loves books so much mm-hmm like he, I mean, he'll, he'll spend like, like, and you said that you did the same thing when you were a kid where he's kind of memorized his favorite books and he'll sit and read them aloud to himself. And if you didn't know that he's memorized them, you would think that he's just sitting there reading them aloud. And he has it pretty down for the most part. Yeah. 
But even our three-year-old does that too. True. Like she was reading the baby Jamberry the other day. <laughs> there were a couple pages where she was saying the words that I know belonged on a different page. But it was still like she, but yeah, yeah, it was still like she's like opening the book and showing the baby and she was like saying, you know, full (laughs) pages of the book. Definitely. Which I mean, that's something I'm so glad that like our whole family really shares that love of reading. Mm -hmm. I think that I'm sure that is because I mean, both of us grew up in homes where our parents loved to read. Sure. And I think that that obviously transfers. Mm Mm-hmm. Definitely. And they've seen us read for pleasure too, so it's not like it's a foreign concept. Exactly, like that's not like what we're I mean. like, like sitting there watching TV and being like, oh, "I go read." Yeah, they know it's something that we enjoy, and that's that's why I want to keep it enjoyable though. Mm-hmm. By like, if he wants to push really hard to learn, I want to do that. But if he, if we, if we need to take it a little bit slow so that he retains his love as he acquires the skills, I also want to do that. I don't want to push him in a way that makes it into something that's not fun at this point. Mm-hmm. But any final thoughts on homeschooling? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I feel like there's like an endless sea of things that we could say, but we have covered a lot of kind of where we where yeah. we're at at this point right now. I mean, we'll probably have to do some kind of an update after we've actually been doing. Well, that's this. what I mean. Like, we, this is kind of our like we're we're just days away from starting, so I just kind of wanted to like see we can look back on this later and laugh at ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm sure, you know, we are so optimistic and joyful about this, but I also, I'm not naive. I know that there are going to be ups and downs. Yeah, I mean, we we haven't really been in a position to, to push him all that much on things he doesn't want to do academically. And, and I've never, and here's the thing where I haven't quite figured out how we want to do this, because while on the one hand I was just saying I don't want to push him in a way that makes things unfun, I also do want to establish that schoolwork is something that we expect him to do. It's not optional. It's not optional. Yada yada past. It's not optional, and he needs to do it, and he needs to have a good attitude about it. And when and if he in the future goes on to you know any kind of higher learning or other learning situation where he's like you know in a college getting graded or whatever. I expect him to get good grades. Like, I expect him to try hard. It's not something that I think should be taken too casually. Mm-hmm. So, the challenge is, up until this point, we've never really forced him to do anything. Like, with the workbook, there were days when he didn't work in the workbook at all. Or days when he worked a little bit, and then maybe he got frustrated, and I said, let's come back to this later. Or he just didn't feel like doing anymore, and I was like, Fine. And then there were days, like, especially toward the end when he got excited and he saw he was getting towards the end where he was, like, I was saying maybe we should take a break. And he was saying, you know, I can do more pages and I'm almost at the end. So we never really pushed. We kind of let him win at his pace with that. And now I think we are entering into the situation where we do want to establish this is not optional. We do expect you to do a certain amount of work. Mm-hmm. And so how we're going to do that is something that kind of somewhat remains to be figured out. I'm hoping that he's excited enough and that we're going to start out with things that won't be immediately, like, frustrating to him, that he will not have a problem. Mm -hmm. But down the road, there's bound to be a time when there's something he doesn't want to do. Yeah. And I think it's, it's natural, but he, I feel like, has a low tolerance for 
difficulty in, in, in like, like if he runs into something, he's like, like he's so naturally good at so many things that I think it's like jarring to him. And, and, and as, is, a, as, as a former gifted and talented student myself. Okay, well, that is, that is, okay, that is a, that is a difficulty that I think a lot of sharper individuals <laughs> encounter in that. You're so and, used to like and, everything coming easy. And that's something with him. A lot of things do come easy to him. He's very... But he's he very has a lot high aptitude, I think, in a lot of areas. He's very detail-oriented. Like, he, he gets but he's a lot still, of concepts he still needs to build his with. stamina for frustration. And something that I've tried to do that I hope will help him with this is that I've always tried to emphasize... Like, I tried to de-emphasize the idea of intelligence. I think intelligence is of limited value. I mean, secretly... I think he's very intelligent, but it's not something that I say to him. Like, I don't say, like, you're so smart. Like, I'll compliment him on something that he's done, and I try to compliment specific aspects of what he's done. And I will make note of, like, I will, like, congratulate him if something comes to him easy, but I try to make a bigger deal if he has to work at something and then makes any kind of strides, even if the strides are modest. I try to make a bigger deal of that because I want him to learn to value growth over easy achievement. Because I do think that when pe- when people's intelligence is too hyped, it does create a situation where they have a really hard dealing with it, mm-hmm. hard time dealing with it when they're challenged. Because if it, I guess what I'm saying is I think that if your natural intelligence is hyped a lot, mm-hmm. then when something's hard. You just think, oh, I'm not naturally intelligent enough to do this, and it's like a big personal failing, and you feel terrible about it, and also you don't really know how to overcome it. If you more think, I am good at figuring out how to do things, I have the skills I need to overcome this, I have the stamina and the drive to figure this out, I can do, I can figure this out, I think you're more likely to actually keep making gains. And that's what I want for him, but he does become very frustrated. Mm-hmm. And he'll he really... He'll want to, like, destroy something if it's, like, like, like if he's writing something and it doesn't come out the way he hoped it would, or drawing a picture and the picture goes in his mind wrong from what he had envisioned, he'll often want to, like, destroy the picture, and we have to, like, kind of try to talk him down and try to talk about how sometimes things don't turn out exactly as you had planned, and that can be okay. You know, so, so we're gonna have to, you know... As we as we grow, we're gonna to have to figure out more and more about how to deal with that in the way that's most helpful to him, so that he can keep learning and growing and not become too frustrated and give up on things. But the more practice he has with it, the better it will get. I think he just so. hasn't had a lot of experience with having to persevere past that point right now, because it's like we never really told him he had to. Like I'll tell him, no, you can't rip up your entire notebook because you made one line wrong that you didn't think was supposed to go there. But like. When it's like, look, we have to finish this section before we go to the next one. We can't just skip past this page because you're not enjoying it anymore. I mean, that's that's going to come up again and again, but that's a learned skill. But that's also why I think I know you're like I know you were concerned that like there aren't enough practice problems in mm-hmm. the math workbook that we have. Mm-hmm. But I think the reason there aren't too many is that. I think that the attitude that they're taking is that for a kindergartner, it's better to do four math problems successfully 
then to do eight problems, but then they get tired by number six, and then they're crying, and they don't want to do it anymore. Intellectually, I know that's true, but I feel like there's still a part of my brain that thinks... If you just do this like 50 times, you're going to get it. Like, and like see, you're I guess, never going to forget it. I guess the reason I don't want to do that is that the math program that I used in elementary school, which was not a great fit for me, mm-hmm. was very much a there will be many practice problems no, based thing. And to me, it was just like a misery. Yes. And I want to find a way to, um, I guess my thought is that we can, I would like to build stamina over time. So my thought is that for kindergarten, we don't want to push too hard. And then my thought is that we add in a little more rigor as we go. So maybe by the end of the year, we're expecting a little bit more as far as like practice work and extra math problems and things like that, but not so much at the beginning. And then maybe in first grade, you know, we ramp it up a little bit. And that's kind of my thought is that we sort of ramp it up so that he almost doesn't notice that it's becoming extreme rather than starting with what feels like an insurmountable amount to do and then just it being like not going well, you know? See, but I I know this can't work this way, but Uh I feel like if you get to a point of muscle memory with basic concepts, then when you introduce more advanced concepts... You don't have to do the work of trying to figure out the basic concepts because it's well, already so familiar to you that you don't even have to think about well, it. Well, I I agree with that in the sense that like like I was saying, I really it was really important to me to actually purchase a math curriculum that mm-hmm. I felt like we could build a strong base. So I totally am right with you there. It's only that I think that and I that also don't want him to become to I don't want but that's why I'm saying we're ramping up. So like mm-hmm. kindergarten math, what they actually are supposed to know by the end of the year is pretty basic. Yeah, I know. So, I feel like this is an opportunity to make sure that he feels really comfortable with those basic concepts, and also to build endurance and hand strength. Because it's about it's about mental endurance to mm-hmm. keep going, even though you're kind of tired of solving equations. But it's also about hand strength, where it's like, I think you're discounting this because you spend so much time using your hands that. But think back to when you were a little kid and you were trying to write something and, like, your hand would hurt. Mm -hmm. So what I'm saying is, like, we need to exercise both his mental endurance and his physical endurance by ramping it up so that he builds more and more stamina. So he's Mm -hmm. able to get to the point where he is doing enough drills to totally... Like, I do want him to be totally proficient in the easy math so that then he can then have that baseline to then become very good at harder math but I think part of that is building stamina rather than expecting him to just already magically have the stamina and then get turned off and then think that math is hard and then not want to do it Mm -hmm. I want him to think that math is challenging just a little bit Mm -hmm. but in a way that's exciting because he's slightly challenged and then feels the pleasure of you know achievement and success and as he's getting that feeling, I want to make him do a little bit more and a little bit more so he gets stronger and stronger and is able to really do more. I guess that's my thought. Well, that makes sense. But yeah, we'll have to do another update podcast in a couple of weeks to see. Definitely will. <laughs> maybe, maybe a first nine weeks review. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think at any point when we feel like it's a good point to be like, you know, we 
have something to speak to as far as what our experience has been. Yeah. And hopefully, you know, to put in a plug for my YouTube channel, I'll be doing some homeschool content on there. I mean, I've already filmed at least one video about our curriculum choices. So if anyone is interested in actually seeing what we're planning to do this year, I will very soon be posting a video or perhaps by the time you put this episode up, my video will already be up. So if you subscribe to which channel? It's um, my, Ash Burgess, my YouTube All channel. Over. Yeah. Yeah. It's just my name. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so I've already filmed one video where I showed a huge haul of just the curriculum and the supplemental items mm -hmm. and the books and everything that we got to start out our year with. So anybody who's interested in that, definitely check that video out. I would love if you also obviously gave it a thumbs up because it's going to be amazing for you to watch. Subscribe. And subscribe. Definitely. Yeah, subscribing to my channel, it benefits me, obviously, because I want more subscribers. But if you're interested, it benefits you because then you're definitely going to know whenever I post a video, you're not going to miss anything. Mm -hmm. And in addition to the content that I have planned about homeschooling, I also post content about, you know, my life as a mom, you know, parenthood and things like that, that probably if you have kids and are interested in homeschooling stuff, you might also be interested in that as well. So mm -hmm. there's a lot there. So I definitely hope you'll check my channel out. And you do a lot of timely videos too, so if you subscribe, you get those words as the you know exactly you, yeah. exactly. Like I do, I do certain things, you know, about you know specifically to the season mm -hmm. that if you're subscribed to my channel, you would be able to make sure that you see those videos at the time, and they would probably be of most value and entertainment to you. Mm -hmm. We just paused for a second because I've got, I've got an almost asleep baby on me that's kind of flailing her arms a little bit. Yeah. She's in her exciting starfish suit, so. <laughs> it's very, it's very it's, what would How would you describe this thing she's wearing? I can <clears throat> I can tell you the name of it. It's no, called it's, is it, it's, no, 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 it's, it's more fun to, to <laughs> okay. describe without it. Um, it's kind of like, I mean, starfish suit is very, very apt description. Uh, it's got ice cream cones and, and things all over it, but it's kind of a ice cream starfish. That's, that's what I call her when she's wearing it. It's called a zippity zip. I think it was featured on an episode of Shark Tank. Oh. It was very expensive. So for how much we paid for this, it actually doesn't work for our family quite as well as <laughs> I hoped it would. But the idea behind it is that after you're supposed to, after you stop swaddling, but the startle reflex is still there, they flail their arms around and it wakes them up. But this is supposed to provide enough tension in the arms and legs that they don't wake themselves up as much from the starter reflex, but yet the arms are mobile enough that if they were to roll over onto their face, they could hopefully find a way to pivot themselves back up, yeah. like a pancake flipping in a pan. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah. And I don't feel like it's totally working, but I know some people have had great success with it and. I feel like it's better than nothing, but it's not like, it hasn't been, I'm, I, let me just say it hasn't been a miracle for us, mm. but it's definitely, I think, helping a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I do like that the neck hole is really snug, so I don't feel like it's going to ride up around her face. Yeah, that's important. Well, thank you for coming back on the podcast. Oh, you're welcome. I, I think I think I'll be seeing you and your and your audience again soon. I mean, I'll be seeing you soon. I hope I'll be. You I'll see be me before. <laughs> I, I, I think I'll be. I think your audience will be hearing from me again. So I'll just say until next time.
Join the Rob Burgess Show mailing list. Go to tinyletter.com forward slash the Rob Burgess Show and type in your email address. Then respond to the automatic message. Also, please make sure to comment, follow, like, subscribe, share, rate, and review everywhere the podcast is available, including iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Twitter, Internet Archive, TuneIn, RSS, and now Spotify. The official website for the podcast is www.therobburgessshow.com. You can find out more about me by visiting my website, www.thisburgess.com. If you have something to say, record a voice memo on your smartphone and send it to therobburgessshow at gmail.com. Include voice memo in the subject line of the email. Also, if you want to call or text the show for any reason, the number is 317-674-3547. Until next time.